0: And uh, this is Jesus telling the, the parable of the talents. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid "'And I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. "'Here you have what is yours.' "'But his master replied, "'You wicked and lazy slave. "'You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow "'and gather where I did not scatter? "'Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, "'and on my return I would have received "'what was my own with interest. "'So take the talent from him "'and give it to the one with ten talents.' For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you can continue to give us insight and understanding by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, uh, Lotto Max this week is thirty-six million dollars. Imagine if you won it. Okay, so you just won thirty-six million dollars. It's your money; you've got it. What do you do with it? What what are you going to do with your lottery winnings? the (laughs) The building campaign. Okay. All right. That was the good answer, I guess. Um, okay, what else? Build the church. Build the church. Yeah, so that's, that's the same thing. Okay, well, good. We've got the good answers. That's great. Um, what, else, what else are we going to do with our 36? Travel. Pay off, mortgage. Pay off mortgage. Invest. Yeah, mission, mission work. Help your family. Is nobody gonna buy a really nice car? Like really, (laughs) it's Sheldon, there we go, there we go. Come on, guys. I mean, that's just like a drop in the bucket, right? You can just get that in there. Yeah, I think, you know, there would be some things we would buy for ourselves, right? Right? Out of all that, yeah. Um, this morning, I'm, the the name of our of the sermon is "Risky Investments," and I'm not going to talk to you about an, an investment strategy at all. Um, I'm the last person you want to come to for that. Um, I'm I'm not even really talking about money. And I'm not really going to talk to you about what God has given you and how you ought to invest in a risky way in his kingdom, because we can kind of talk about that. Although if we were going to talk fully about that, we'd be a lot closer to what this parable is about. Instead, what I want to talk to you about is God's investment in you. Because that's actually what happens in this parable. The master gives his slaves uh, large sums of money. He gives them talents, and that was a sum of money, Uh, It was a really big sum of money, and we missed that in the parable because we just hear uh, five and two and one, and and it seems very sort of casual in this parable, but one talent was the equivalent of 15 years of wages, okay? So let's put that in in our dollars today. If you are a full-time employee in Canada, I know not all of us are, but if you were full-time employee in Canada, that your average income is around $50,000 a year, okay? So let's say that these are sort of, they're they're getting paid a a decent wage in in this time, and they're working, they've got full-time employment for 15 years. That means that the master gives the one with the one talent, the least amount of money, he gets $750,000, Okay. The two talents, that would be 1.5 million, and the five talents gets a whopping $3.75 million to work with. Uh, These are not small amounts of money. And actually, I think this is an important part of the analogy in play it's just the amounts. Because God is the master in this analogy, and we are the slaves and what happens right at the beginning of the parable but God blesses us abundantly and we sometimes just miss that basic truth completely and we compare you know we'll say well you know we're not we're not the one who got the five talents we're the one who got one but we forget that the one who got one got $750,000 that's pretty good It's not as if the third slave with one talent doesn't really have very much to work with. So he can't really do anything. He's got three quarters of a million dollars to work with. That's not bad. See, we we can't say that God has not invested in us. We can't say that God has not blessed us. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, to to hear about God's blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. And I love in this passage that it's so clear that we have been blessed by God because God chose to do it. Right? There's nothing in this passage that says, oh, you Ephesians have been so great. You've worked hard, and so God's rewarding you. No. Why does God bless them? Why does God bless us? Out of the good pleasure of his will. Because he chooses to, and it makes him happy to bless his children who he's adopted in Christ. I mean, isn't that fantastic? The the word talents um, is misleading in a sense for us because it makes us think uh, only about our abilities, right? Our our talents, um, our God-given gifts. But in the analogy, I, I think it is meant to be much, much more than that. Everything is involved, really, Every blessing we have received from God or in, uh, you might have heard stewardship lessons about the three T's, about how we are to give time, talent, and treasure. Um, but you can also think about those three T's in terms of what God has given, that God has given us everything. Because those are kind of these all-encompassing things. Our, our all, our everything that we have has been given to us by God. It's all gift, And so I think we need to hear the talent in that sense that everything that the master has given to his servants, everything God has given to us. Now, the first two slaves in the analogy, they go off and they trade with their money and they double their money. And we can ask, well, what is trading in the analogy? Well, they take what has been given to them by their master or what has been invested in them by their master and they put it to work and then there is a return for the master. So in kingdom terms, some want to equate this with evangelism. So God's investment in us is the gospel message. We, we receive the gospel message and it has effect and impact in our lives. And our trading or our use of that gospel message is to then share it with others, telling that message to others. Evangelism. The return on that investment in us and our then using it properly and well, the return on it is someone else's newfound faith. Now, others would, in kingdom terms, not really equate it with evangelism per se, but might equate it with service or ministry. So God's investment in us is not the message itself, but it's the new reality of the message. So what is created because of the message, this new relationship with God, and everything that comes with that. Not just even the spiritual side of things, but also the practical, on-the-ground, loving side of things. So our trading or our use of this new reality that God has given is to then share that new reality with others through acts of care and compassion and love. Now, the thing is, uh, you'll get some Christians who are in, strongly in the evangelism camp, that that's what Christianity is all about, and others who will say, well, let's not say anything about Jesus, but let's love people, um, and, uh, but you know, they'll know we are Christians by our love, and let's not really talk about it, um, and, and often those two camps are kind of arguing with each other a little bit, but it's both, isn't it? Right? Like We've got to be doing both of those things. And I think when it comes down to it, even the people in those camps recognize that we've got to be doing both. And in fact, if you look closely at their lives, they usually are doing both. And you might at one time emphasize one over the other, but we need to be prepared to both share the message and act in practical love and service for others. Both of those things. All of those things. There's no neat separation between them. So that's kind of, I think, what the first two uh, slaves are about. They receive the investment from their master, and then they go out and they actually do something with it, and there's return. But the meat of this parable is with the third servant, isn't it? The third servant who buries his money in the ground. And that's where we have to place ourselves, is in that third servant's shoes. We must ask whether we are burying God's investment in us, or whether we are using it for his kingdom work. So when I titled this sermon, Risky Investments, I really thought this parable was about how we must take risks with what God has given that we must be willing to step out in faith and invest in the work of the kingdom, that we must risk what God has given. But really, I think this parable is about God who risks with us. Because what a risky investment we are. The third slave is afraid. And we are too a lot of the time. We are afraid as individuals, And we can be afraid as the church. We can be afraid when something looks like it's going to cost us too much, too much of our time, too much of our treasure, and so we'll even stop giving our talent to it as well. We can be afraid of a building project when our annual budget is looking a little grim. And never mind that there's $550,000 in the bank. We can afraid to do ministry and focus on ministry with real people when there are big projects that demand our time and our talent. But we're worried about getting burnt out with the real needs of real people. I can easily get caught in that trap. We can be afraid to help a neighbor in need, like we talked about last week, because how much time is this going to take We have all kinds of fears when it comes to doing the work of the kingdom. But what is the third slave really afraid of in this parable? In verse 24 and 25, uh, the slave says to his master, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seeds, so I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. What is he afraid of? Well, he's afraid of his master, right? But what's specifically about the master? He says he, he reaps where he doesn't sow. He gathers where he does not scatter seed. What's that about? If we're going to rephrase that or say it in a different way, the master lets someone else do all of the work, and then takes all of the results. Takes all the credit. It all belongs to him. The slave tells the master, you are harsh, because that's how you treat your slaves. You make us do all the work, and you take all the credit." I wanted to preserve, and the NRSV does this, other translations change the word slave to servant. I use them interchangeably a little bit.
1: But it actually
0: is helpful I think in this text to remember master and slave because automatically we hear inequality in that. And the slave is bold in a lot of ways. And he says to his master, you know what? This isn't right. And it doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right when we really think about it. There's a master. When you take it out of the context of this is supposed to be talking about God, there's a master who makes other people do all the work, and then he gets everything. You're harsh, he says. You gave me this talent, and I know if I trade with it, you're just going to come and take everything I've worked so hard for. I was afraid of that, so I hid the talent. And the master gets really mad about this and says, why didn't you at least put it in the bank so I could at least get a bit of interest? And I can sort of hear, the slave doesn't say this, but I want to put words in the slave's mouth. I trust bankers? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't trust you, you're the master. You're in league with the bankers. I'm going to bury it in the hole. <laughs> Way safer. And he calls the slave wicked and lazy. Now, is the slave just making excuses? Because maybe he is just wicked and lazy. Is he just making excuses? Maybe. And, and you know what? If that's the case, we'd learn a lesson from that as well. Because plenty of us make excuses when it comes to burying the blessings that God has given us. Plenty of us do that. But I think there is a grain of truth in what the third slave says. And I think we get into trouble when we start thinking that same way when it comes to the kingdom of God and our faith. Because there is an inequality. We're not God. Yet we sometimes act as though we ought to be. See, the way the kingdom is supposed to work is that we do the work and God gets the glory. But we don't like that. We don't like that. And the world doesn't work like that at all, does it? The world, in fact, teaches us, and we teach our children, work hard and you'll be rewarded. It doesn't always work out. But the kingdom never operates that way it starts with you are blessed with abundance now go and share that and isn't God wonderful I mean, that's the kingdom story there's nothing about work hard and there's nothing about you know if, if you do this then God is going to do this for you and all of that that's not the way the kingdom works And look at what happens to the first two slaves, right? The first two slaves, they did the work, and they present it back to the master and say, here you go, look what I did for you. And what does the master do? He gives glory to them, doesn't he? Because that's how God actually works. God isn't harsh. The third slave is wrong about the master, The first two slaves give glory to their master. Look, look what we did for you. Isn't it wonderful? And he gives it back to them. In fact, by the end of the parable, the parable is told in such a way that the one who has made an extra five talents, he still has all ten of them. The master seems to have let him have it, keep it and said, you'll be given even more responsibility because you have been responsible with this little amount, 3.75 million. Uh, I'm going to entrust you with greater things. And the one who's buried it gets his taken away. The third slave operates from a different view of God. He says, you reap where you do not sow. You take, and that's not fair. Now, he wants to give back the talent that God gave him still. He digs it back up and says, here, here's what's yours. But notice that the third slave doesn't seem to really want any blessing. What he does in doing that, rather than what the first two slaves do in saying, well, here you go, look what we've done, What he does is he's trying to separate himself from the master. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours. I buried your thing. Have it back. They're separate. What's mine is mine, and what's God's is God's. And on a practical level, a lot of us live our lives this way, don't we? We don't live as though... What we have in our lives is actually God investing in us so that the work of the kingdom can take place and so that God can receive glory. We live as though we deserve what we have because we've worked for it rather than seeing everything as gift and blessing from God. We live as though we must protect what we have because it's ours. And we want credit when credit is due us. We forget that really no credit is due us at all because none of it's ours. We forget that all credit is due to our Lord and Savior, to our Creator and our provider. Even when we've worked hard, it's because God has given us the gift of having the ability to be in a position to work The core issue that the third slave has is our same core issue. We think there is a separation between what belongs to God and what belongs to us. So winning the lottery, we had some nice answers to, you know, if we would win the lottery, we had some good church answers. Um, Imagine instead of winning the lottery this week, uh, Jesus comes to you. You know, he's actually there. And Jesus hands you $36 million. That's a little different than winning the lottery, I think. Because while we might do some nice things with the lottery winnings, we might not feel the same sense of responsibility for the whole 36 million, if we win it, than if Jesus handed it to us. And if Jesus hands it to us, I think we we start to have a sense of responsibility for all of it, and not just you know 10%, which would be nice, or 50%, or 90%. We might say, oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give 30 million away. Isn't that fantastic? and and then I've got six million. Because that's how our brains work. But if Jesus hands you the whole 36 million, well, is that different? Because now we have responsibility for the whole thing in God's sight. You see my point. We already have that responsibility. We already have that responsibility with what we have been given. Because God has already blessed us with every blessing in Christ. Everything we have. God has already made a risky investment in you. And it's risky because you will be tempted to think that God hasn't invested in you at all. You'll be tempted to think that everything you have is because you've earned it or because you deserve it in some way. You'll be tempted to not put any of your time, talent, or treasure to work for the kingdom when, in fact, God is asking for your entire life to be oriented toward it. Now, I want you to know that I'm not talking about I want to see everybody here five days a week volunteering in the church. That's not what I'm saying. When your entire life is oriented toward the kingdom, what that does is it impacts who you are and what you do in the places you already are. Not everybody is going to be called to, to sell off their house. You know, my daughter needs a place to live. But it's your entire life that's accountable before God, not a percentage. Your entire life is to be oriented toward God's kingdom. God's invested in you. This is how God works. It's not as though God waves a magic wand to get uh, ministry and kingdom work done. He does it through people. He does it through us. God gives you gifts, talents, money. He gives you your time. He gives you work in order for you to work towards his purposes and his world so that others can know his love and so that in the end he can receive the glory. Not for us, not to us, O oh Lord, but to you be all glory forever and ever. Amen.